All right, everybody, gather around the radio, the, the earbuds, wherever the hell you are, driving on your way to work, uh, listening at lunchtime. Guys, it's Crypto 101 Podcast. I'm your host, Bryce, joined as always by my notorious co-host, the P-I-Z, Mr. Pizza Mind Malone. Aaron, how are you doing? Uh, you just got back from Miami. Your pipes didn't freeze over in Texas. Uh, life's good. Life is good. It's the simple things that we really appreciate over here. And uh, as always, I'm the contrarian. I want to take the other side of the trade. I'm going to be uh, skeptical of the narrative. And the narrative that we've been facing right now over the past month or so is that centralized custody is bad and everyone needs to own their own keys and stuff. Uh, And while there is a huge element of truth to that, I'm going to say that not every situation is right for that kind of thing. And there are good actors in the centralized custody space, and there needs to be. Necessary actors. Necessary. We need people that care about security, that care about compliance, and that can do the job right because it's a really hard job. And there's not many people in the world that can do it at this point. At Money 2020, I'm talking with some of the biggest banks in the world that are looking for a custodian because they're not comfortable doing it yet so somebody's got to have the tough job um and i think we've got him with us today <laughs> we've got yes, we we've got the guy with with arguably the hardest gig in crypto right now uh mike belshi who is the ceo of bitgo uh mike welcome to the crypto 101 podcast and thanks for taking some time what an intro thank you guys for for having <laughs> me i i hope i can live up to half that challenge but <laughs> no man we, we have a lot of fun here we, we joke around a lot but we're also, you know, very, you know, deadly serious about the crypto uh, world, and, and we've dedicated our lives to it. And we've been big proponents of, uh, you know, self custody and, and all that kind of stuff. But that's for maybe just an individual who's looking to fulfill the ethos of crypto. But it's not for everyone. So before we dive into all that stuff, let's just catch up the audience with who you are, Mike, and how you came to be uh, the CEO of BitGo, which is maybe the largest custodian in crypto? Yeah, I think we probably are. Um, certainly the largest independent one. There's a lot of custody that still happens at, at businesses around the globe, exchanges and whatnot that are acting as custodians. And sometimes that works well, Coinbase, and sometimes it doesn't work so well, FTX. Um, yep. But, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, so, sure, uh, where Bitco started is actually a technology company. Uh, I'm a Silicon Valley technology veteran, I guess you'd say for 25 or 30 years, didn't start out with anything on my aspirations to be in financial services or finance. I've always been much more excited about how technology changed lives. And yet here we are with technology finally, you know, really invading uh, the financial services landscape. Um, what I see is exciting is actually more about the future, you know, really making things more transparent and fair. And you mentioned briefly about custody and self-custody. You know, I'm excited about that. The idea that we can hold our own keys and we can manage our own funds and be on an equal playing field with banks, phenomenal. Um, so we started out with BitGo and the goal was to help build better technology. Um, at the base layer of any custodial solution, I mean, the first thing you have to have is like the, the asset can't disappear behind your back. Um, and of course, back in 2012, we were hearing a lot about exchanges getting hacked, people losing their passwords, you know, you know, terrible things that cause people to lose at that point, relatively small amounts of money, but it's getting bigger and bigger all the time. 
So we pioneered early on multi-signature for Bitcoin. Um, and, you know, this is old hat now. It's the gold standard of crypto. Um, nobody really questions that. Today, you know, Bitco as a technology platform, we support both multi-sig and MPC. We support, I don't know, 25 blockchains, thousands of tokens, et cetera. And um, our product line spans not just the technology part, which is like a wallet as a service, you know, hold it your own, hold it on your own. But then we also added in regulated qualified custody. And for those that aren't familiar with what custody is, um, I mean, it's it's the simple idea of safekeeping. There's a little bit of reporting and, and whatnot around it. You want to get a monthly statement, things like that. But number one job is like, hold my Bitcoin, give it back to me. Um, and, and that's it. <laughs> don't so lend it to anybody. <laughs> don't lend it to anybody. That's right. So the difference between a custodian, like when we use a trust company, which does custodianship versus a bank, which is depository. And depositories can lend out the assets. Trust companies can't. Trust companies by charter, all we can do is hold it, safekeeping. We mm-hmm. don't lend it out. Um, so having segregated accounts, providing bankruptcy protection. So, you know, whatever we do, your funds are separate from our funds, segregated from other customers' funds, and returnable to you quickly in the event of any bankruptcy. But but really, as a custodian, a, a bank, a trust bank, I should say, you know, our job is to, to make sure, A, we're not taking any risks, um, B, make sure the regulator understands exactly what the business model is, and they review, are you taking any unnecessary risks, um, and then, then safekeeping. So we built up uh, uh, a trust company, actually somewhat by just need. Uh, back 2015, 2016, you know, we'd been building the technology for a while, and we really had thought that early uh, banks would pick up our technology and then deploy it underneath their regulatory licenses. But, but they weren't quite ready. And so we said, look, we got we to gotta take our future by, uh, by the reins here and uh, own it. So we ended up creating the world's first dedicated you know, trust company uh, for digital assets. And um, we've grown that quite well. We now have f- four trust licenses around the globe, uh, New York DFS. South Dakota, Switzerland, Germany. Um, we got a couple more coming in Singapore and Middle East. Um, but the point is that, you know, we're trying to build compliant regulated custody that people can trust. And our, our mission statement is delivering trust in digital assets. Uh, I'm an engineer. I usually hate mission statements. I love the, uh, what was it? Uh, Dilbert has like the, you know, mission statement generator type of thing, which is how I feel about most mission statements. Um, in the case of ours, I actually do kind of like it. Uh, and the reason I like it is because it's persisted over time. Like we want to make it so that everybody on the planet, I don't care whether you're a retail person in the U S I don't care whether you're a retail person in Argentina. I don't care whether you're a business, a bank, a regulator. We want to make it so that everybody feels like these are assets that we know how to manage and we can put them into infrastructure and we can trade them and then we can make better and better products. That's about delivering trust. So um, yeah, and we, and we trust that they're going to be there when we're trying to collect them. <laughs> you know, we're still dealing with the basics, unfortunately, yeah. um, as evidenced by what's and, and was this, a, let, let me ask you this, because this is something I've, I've wondered. Was this a failure, it, just in your opinion, of um, some type of jurisdictional thing that Sam Bankman-Fried was doing, like this could have never happened if he was registered in the States, maybe. Or was this just a, a flat out, you know, just gross negligence of these funds or, I mean. Or outright fraud. 
Yeah. Anytime you have somebody that's willing to just be a complete criminal and commit total fraud and lie to customers and regulators alike, I mean, you're going to have some, something bad happen. Um, so no, I don't think it's purely jurisdictional. Um, but the jurisdictional question that you, you raise is a good one because I do think regulators with digital assets are having to kind of come back to Jesus and answer the question of like, wait a minute, how are we going to handle regulatory uh, needs on a global level um, mm-hmm. as opposed to in our local things? And, you know, the U.S. has regulated the U.S. and we have the strongest markets uh, as a result of some of that regulation and trustworthiness. Um, you know, actually, by the way, most people don't know this. How old is the Chinese stock market? 50 years. I don't know. <laughs> Good guess. But you're, Aaron? you're way too optimistic. It's about 25 years old. So wow. you know, the, the Chinese stock market is, is very young. Um, of course, it's built inside of a set of rules and laws that are very different from ours. And foreign ownership and control can't exceed you know, more than half of any company. It makes it difficult for foreign investment, right? And when you, if you want to talk about how do you make big global markets, I'm not trying to talk about monopolies or centralized. I'm trying, you know, markets tend to lead towards being big. You want the largest collection of buyers to get the best price and the largest collection of sellers as well. Um, so how do you, how do you make these global markets? Uh, you need to have some amount of trust and safety. So I think in that sense, the U S regulatory, uh, Mission statement could actually be, you know, the same as ours, delivering trust and digital assets, um, but it is what it is. How do you stay on the right side of compliance and regulations when some countries are very clear with what they want? The U.S. is not clear whatsoever with what they want. And then going with, you know, your own internal team's idea of what best practices are, which are likely above and beyond just what's required. Where do you, you know, create a product having to deal with all these moving targets? Well, I think this is where you actually need builders. So if you haven't read like Peter Thiel's book, Zero to One, which talks about the types of people that take something that doesn't exist and build it versus those that can scale it up. PayPal is a great example. You had the guys that created PayPal that knew how to create something out of nothing. And then the management team that runs it today is able to take it to a level that the founders kind of never Mm. could. The same thing is true, really, when we think about custody and re- regulations. Um, you know, unfortunately, the technology is brand new. Um, I know it's 10 years old now, but it, it's difficult for folks that grew up in the traditional finance world to get over it, understanding all of the technology behind it. You know, what are validators? What are private keys? What are addresses? Wait a minute. I can't uh, send the, the email address of or the snail mail address of the, the guy with it. So there's, there's a lot of confusion there. Then there's also many voices in the room around what should regulation be. You've got some that are like, give me no regulation. It's true, right? They're asking for that. There's others that are saying, give me, you know, regulatory clarity, which usually means like, tell me what's a security and what's not a security. Um, but I actually think designers and builders ought to be able to architect a better system and we have to break apart the pieces. Like, I mean, let's be realistic. I would love to have a fantastic uh, regulation which covered everything from, you know, preventing terrorist financing, preventing money laundering, you know, having perfect oversight for returning funds after they're stolen, um, having never had uh, any any money being illegal taken at all, um, as well as having be global. But the problem we're dealing with most right now, the rug pull. We all we got rug pulled by Sam Bankman-Fried. Right. Mm. 
It's massive rental. It's um, $10 billion that, that should be there and it's not. Can we, can we have a, a beginnings of regulatory uh, oversight, which just prevents those types of losses? And this is actually pretty much in line when you think about it with kind of technology and security, right? Security is about, hey, you know, I, I want to keep these things private. I want to keep these things secure so no one else can take them. Can we apply that into a regulated context? I think, I think regulators could do well to focus on that problem first. Once you can't be rug pulled, okay, then we can start to talk about all of the other compliance and regulatory issues and they'll build on top of each other. So anyway, to answer your question, how do you do it? I think we got to break this apart into the problems that we have and solve the most important, highest priority ones first um, and then the, the, the other second. So these days, it seems like every new potential hire can feel like this high stakes wager for your small business. I mean, you want to be 100% certain that you have access to the best, most qualified candidates available. And so that's exactly why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs, okay? LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the right people for your team faster and for free. In fact, our brand new super podcast producer, TiVo, the absolute man myth legend himself, he literally just started here at Crypto 101 this month to take us to the next level. And we found him through LinkedIn. He's one of many that we found thanks to LinkedIn uh, this year alone, believe it or not. So guys, get this. It's so easy to create a job post on LinkedIn. Once you've done so, all you got to do is just add your job and the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile. And you can start spreading the word that you are hiring. Simple tools like screening questions and stuff, it just makes it easy for you to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. And we're always, always, always looking to finish the year strong here at Crypto 101. And by using LinkedIn Jobs, we were able to bring on the right podcast producer candidate in TiVo, okay? TiVo's the man, along with a bunch of other great new team members. So it's stories like our own that show us why small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. So Crypto 101 listeners, you can go to LinkedIn jobs to help you find the qualified candidates that you want to talk to and do it a heck of a lot faster. So you can go, you can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash crypto. Okay, that's linkedin.com slash crypto and you could post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Yeah, and I think it's important to remember that regulators, wherever they are, they're not superhuman gods. They're regular people that are trying to do the right thing. Uh, and we in this space who know a hundred times more than they do still can't <laughs> manage it ourselves and keep things clean and, you know, get through this whole thing unscathed. So I want to cut him a little bit of slack. And hey, regardless of what rule sets come out, theft is illegal everywhere. Yeah. And there's still going to be people that steal. There's still going to be people that lie and cheat. Um, and the regulators have to come after them in a past tense, after these things have already happened. <laughs> They're not going to be able to detect 99 out of 100 of these things beforehand because anyone who's set up to do something like that they're not going to expose themselves beforehand. They're going to look as legitimate as possible and then screw things up afterwards. You know, there's no regulator who's knocking on everyone's door saying, you know, what's all the transactions in your balances this week? It's just never going to happen. 
Well, look, the principles of Bitcoin can guide us all pretty well here. And, you know, why, why do we hand the rules of Bitcoin off to the machines? Because the machines are able to execute monetary policy better than humans. Um, now, of course, there's the initial setting of those rules, and we, we have those set with, with Bitcoin. Other blockchains are, are figuring this out and what is governance, et cetera. But, you know, in the history of mankind, you've never had a monetary policy as stable as that with Bitcoin. The, 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 it sounds counterintuitive, but it's, it's only 10 years old, and it's the only monetary policy that we haven't tinkered with, right? And that's because we handed it to the computers. So the if we can take that philosophy and hand more to the computers, we're going to be better off. Yeah, L- less human inter- uh, less human interference and margin for error. I think the better. I think that's something we could all agree on for sure. Exactly. Yeah. Um, man, I mean, so w- one of the things I think about is like you know, so BitGo maybe that's the best place for an institution to go because I'm sure there's some costs associated with it. Maybe we could talk about that. But where does an individual, an average consumer, uh, go? C- can they leverage BitGo as well as just an individual? Um, they can. We don't, we don't focus on it a lot. It's not so much that, that you can't do it from a technology or product perspective, but the way you provide good business support to different groups is very different, right? If you break down the, uh, the people that are inside of a retail exchange at Coinbase or Kraken, you're going to find a huge customer support department, which is you know, designed around helping a, a mass number of, of retail users. We, we don't build our organization that way. Instead, we've got a relatively small set but they're available 24-7 and they provide white glove service to institutions. So maybe we go back a little bit to the, kind of the beginning of the podcast. Like why, why centralized custody? And right. you know, I think there's definitely a lot of retail people out there that are listening and watching all these failures, you know, self-included, of centralized um, uh, uh, business failures. Yeah. That fail. And then there's this knee-jerk reaction like, well, we never want that. Okay, look, for the first time ever, we have the ability to hold it ourselves, which is phenomenal, right? Now all of us could be on an equal playing field with banks and businesses, et cetera, and that's great. Um, Some people will elect to do that, and some people will elect not to do that. Some people might elect to partially do it, like you might put 200 bucks in cash in your wallet, but you might decide to put the rest in the bank. Why would you want to use a bank when they can rug pull you? Um, Well, Businesses need to run at a different level. Um, businesses need continuity, and all of us interact with businesses, and many of us run businesses. And if you run a business, would you want your IT guy to be managing your bank account and to be able to withdraw and take out of your bank account at any time? Of course not. And you know, whoever is managing your finances, which can be in your finance team under the supervision of your CFO, um, you know, he needs a set of control so that certain people have certain access under certain limits and under policies that he's aware of, supervises, controls, et cetera. And then if any particular person leaves the organization, you need to be able to um, revoke uh, those permissions. Continue <laughs> operating. Well, right, and yeah. revoke positions. Yeah, that's right. By the way, uh, you know, FTX is a fantastic example of how, how important this is. You know, uh, just today in the block, there was an article and Sam Bankman Freed is saying, hey, the new management isn't consulting me. Um, and they're saying that I don't have, I didn't have good financial controls. So why aren't they talking to me? It's like the fact that, that they, that you think they need to talk to you is proof that you don't have good financial controls. You know, it has to be true that a business can operate and any single individual can leave that company. And yet the rest of the people can still figure out where the money is. Otherwise 
have good financial controls. Um, so when it comes to business, of course, you need to have something here. Now, how do we get a good blend where we get kind of the properties and ethos that come along with handing it to the machines and getting decentralized while also having the continuity of what you get um, with, uh, with businesses and, and having somebody help with that? Look, this is what we're this is what we're all building towards. Um, so BitGo started a hundred percent with this multi-signature two out of three model, and it's just one example of many innovations that come when you have internet money or computer uh, computerized programmable money. Um, but the idea is that as the holder of the asset, you have one key. Uh, I'm sorry, you, you have two keys, and BitGo has one key, so we can never move the money on on our own, and yet. If you ever lose one of your keys, we can give you. We can help you recover it by using your backup key. Like, kind of reminds me of like a safe deposit box uh, at the bank. You go in with your key; they got a key, and that's the only way you get in. That's exactly right. Yeah, and this can be expanded many times over. I mean, it doesn't have to be two out of three. You know, you can do thirty-five out of forty-one. Um, there's some technology limits on it, by the way, but they're getting better as we get better crypto and stuff like that. Anyway, the the, the point is, is that over time we will make it more decentralized, even at the business level. Um, and this is, this is already happening. I mean, we're seeing this with the DeFi markets and I know DeFi is, is a little bit specific, but frankly, DeFi lending programs, they operate better than human lending programs right now. Automated market makers are absolutely going to be better. There's still issues and kinks being figured out. There's identity problems being figured out, but these end up being less vulnerable to, um, to failures than, uh, traditional systems. Um, whether you're talking about, Robin Hood to uh, Citadel or, or other types of settlement things, DeFi just does better. So anyway, we can combine CFI and DeFi. We can continue to reduce risk. I think the good custodians, maybe back to your question, the good custodians are going to be continuing to pioneer and push and advocate for ways that we eliminate dependence on people, dependence on counterparties. Mike, you, you've got a very unique vantage point from where you sit. You, you obviously, you know, talk to a lot of institutions. Um, I, I, my question is kind of a, a roundabout one, but like when I would think about institutional adoption, man, the institutions are here. The inst- like when I thought about that, to be honest, I, I looked at Ontario teachers pension plan. I was like, man, we got pension plans investing. I looked at Temasek, who's, you know, the Singaporean sovereign wealth fund, they're investing in crypto and where do they put their money in FTX and now poof, it's gone. And so then I was like, man, I ate my words. Was that really institutional adoption or was that just uh, degenerates at the pension plans just YOLOing in? What does institutional adoption really look like? And have we hit that point? Well, there's the clients that are using the products and we've used the word institutions fairly liberally over the last few years, I think in our excitement to get bigger and bigger. But I think really the problem you're pointing at is a slightly different one, which is, do we have the right infrastructure to build digital asset markets? Mm. So if you look at digital asset markets in the equities world, you will find a series of exchanges, broker dealers, clearing houses, transfer agents, and others that make up that ecosystem. In the CFTC world, you're going to find, again, exchanges. They're called DCMs. You're going to have brokers called FCMs. You're going to have clearinghouses, DCOs. Um, But again, kind of a a similar set of parties. These parties, when you're an infrastructure component here, you're expected to manage and understand your risk under a certain set of parameters, uh, always with some amount of regulatory oversight, because again, people over time 
have a tendency to, to start cheating <laughs> or bending the rules for themselves. Yep. And we, we haven't put that together. So FTX was not operating as an infrastructure provider. When you talk to uh, a traditional custodian, um, you will find inside the bank, they have this safety and soundness uh, set of controls that are in place. It's, it's a very big effort. There's a lot that goes into it. And they're able to use that to communicate both with their clients and their regulators about how they make sure to, to, to keep risk out of the system. Now, there is a place where we do allow risk, hedge funds. Hedge funds are allowed to take incredible risks. And this is okay, right? There should be a place where people do risky investments. That was like Alameda research. The problem <laughs> yeah. is the infrastructure, like the exchange or the custodian, et cetera, there you're not expecting to see risk. Those guys are infrastructure providers. It's about market structure. How do we put together safe markets that we can all, all use? All right. When they blended those two together, that's, that's where the mess up was. And how are they able to do it? Well, because the market really was just not ready for it. So look, if we want to get serious as an asset class about bringing institutions to the table, we have a duty to deliver a market structure that works. Now, that's easy to say. And then the hard part is, is that when the market's too small, it's hard to afford a really big and robust uh, market structure. So how do you get an, a whole series of broker dealers and exchanges and clearinghouses and custodians? That's the, you know, we got to build it as we go and we can't get too far over our skis um, before we have the right market structure for the right size of trading. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I guess until that really exists, you know, it's going to be difficult to win the trust back from the people, but it sounds like you have the roadmap to do it. Who are some of the existing exchanges and brokers that have partnered with BitGo to make sure that the security and custody component is at least in safe hands? Well, you know, Bitstamp's been with us for years, so I, I would never want to list customers and not not list them. They they moved to uh, to BitGo Custody and they use it for all their hot wallet technology as well. Um, I think all the way back in, in 2014, we got 150 other exchanges, you know, SoFi uses BitGo as well for their product line. Um, we just announced a deal with actually Nike, which is a, a strange one at the corporate level. They're getting in because digital assets have hit NFTs and with their swoosh project, you know, they're finding that there's this crossover again between software and, and money. Um, so I know those are a few from three different walks of life. Um, uh, by the way, FTX, the the new management is uh, is using BitGo at this point. Um, the new management, Get out. Was, you didn't know that. <laughs> I mean, I, I I knew it, but I don't think a lot of people knew it, and I still think it's the wildest thing. Okay, well, yeah. So FTX, uh, you know, we we did not have a custodial relationship with the company prior to them filing bankruptcy. The new management came in; they needed to take control of the assets. And who held the assets before? Well, it was held by, you know. The, the folks that were running FTX before, and they, they, they didn't even know where all the holes were, and the funds started moving around on them. So they hired BitGo to, to take custody and just keep it all locked up while they can do their, their process. I think that's so killer. That's great. Speaking of uh, keeping funds locked up, one of the things, you know, we circle back to what you were mentioning before in DeFi, uh, you guys have this amazing thing, Wrapped BTC, which enables Bitcoin to be used in DeFi on the Ethereum blockchain. Um, and there's been a lot of fear and concern about uh, if there's enough Bitcoin to back all the wrapped Bitcoin in existence. Uh, and there's been a de-pegging of that as the market is unsure. 
What do you want to say about Wrap Bitcoin to kind of let the people know everything's okay? <laughs> okay. Well, first off, uh, we've been doing proof of reserves since the inception of that product. So um, it's not something that we added. Uh, it's something that's always existed. And then second, it's a digital to digital binding. So people think of uh, stable coins quite a lot. Of course, huge part of our ecosystem. The hard part about stable coins and proof that they are, are, are uh, fully accounted for is that you can see the smart contract with the digital tokens, but the fiat is in a set of banks and you can't actually see it without some sort of external audit. Look, with wrapped Bitcoin, you don't have that problem. Wrapped Bitcoin is also a stable coin. It's a token that wraps to one Bitcoin. Um, and so you can see exactly the tokens in the smart contract. And you can also see all of the Bitcoin on chain. So we've had a perfect proof of reserves. You can go to WBTC.network. You can see it in there. Um, it, it's always been there. Look, wrap Bitcoin didn't really depeg. Here's, here's the simple part of what happened. It did. It generally hovers right around, you know, one wrap Bitcoin to one Bitcoin. I said, yeah, one wrap Bitcoin to one Bitcoin. And it, it dropped by like as much as 2%. Uh, kind of in the wake of uh, FTX. And it started to decline just a little bit from, you know, pretty much being right on one up and down uh, to about 2% down over a two-week period, which coincides with Alameda going bankrupt. It's pretty simple. Actually, Alameda, as it turns out, was a pretty significant market maker for wrapped Bitcoin. What that means is, you know, Alameda, the prop trader, um, was anytime the wrap Bitcoin went below one, they were buying it up. And when it went above one, they were selling it back. And that creates an equilibrium on price. So market makers are an important part of you know, pricing in, in many markets, not just crypto markets. And when they stopped doing that function, uh, you know, we saw a little bit of depegging. And of course, there's a natural, good, healthy skepticism. Everybody's looking around for like, wait a minute, what's going to fail next? So mm -hmm. I don't... Uh, uh, I don't blame anybody for, for thinking hard about whether uh, that was good or not. Uh, I'm sorry, whether they should be skeptical of, of wrapped Bitcoin. Um, but of course, it's all returned back to one now. What's happened is other markets, uh, other market makers saw the opportunity that was left behind by Alameda Research since they're gone and is now taking it up. And so the price is kind of returned back to normal. Um, so this is going to happen from time to time in markets. I mean, people definitely want to see Stable coins always match one to one, but you have to remember a wrapped asset is not the same thing as the underlying asset. You know, we have minting and burning fees when we go in and out and those will add up to, you know, 50 basis points easily. Um, and then of course there's risk that you carry with who's holding it. What's the governance of it? What's the smart contract is going to be a smart contract bug. These are all risks that come with the wrapper that don't necessarily come with the, the underlying asset by itself. So um, anyway, yeah, wrap Bitcoin, I think is a great example because it's digital digital and you can completely prove that, that it's all there. And I also want to highlight that um, you guys or Bitco is not the only uh, group of people that are wrapping assets and not all wrapped assets are created equal. That's correct, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, there's a number of efforts that have been done uh, trying to create, alternate wrapped assets um, or wrapped assets for other blockchains. Like um, Solana had one, a Solana wrapped Bitcoin. And that one, they held the reserves at FTX. 
So that one didn't end very well. Um, and then that naturally causes people to say, well, gee, if Solana wrapped Bitcoin failed, you know, is the Bitco Ethereum wrapped Bitcoin going to fail? Look, healthy to be skeptical, of course, but let's back up and let's look at who had proof of reserves. One of them right. had it all the way through. The other one didn't. And, you know, it's why it's, it's just so important to have those uh, those pillars of strength be put in place from the very get go. You can't put these in after the fact. Right. You need to have it up front. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Yeah, man. And speaking of just having the right stuff up front, um, you know, is there any high level, again, this is crypto 101. A lot of people who are listening to this podcast, maybe this is their first time listening to a crypto podcast. What are like some just security best practices um, that you would kind of advise generally uh, to the public? And I guess my, the one thing I always say is diversification, like across assets, across wallets, across custodians, that's the only free lunch here in security. Um, but do you have anything else that you could add to that? I'm actually not sure I would agree with you, to be honest. So I, uh, okay. I'll take you up on this if you want to debate it a little bit. Let's do um, it. Look, I, I do think when you get to larger and larger amounts, you know, some amount of uh, diversification is important. Kind of like, you know, uh, after Lehman Brothers crashed, we realized that, you know, various parties had too much at a single custodian. And of course, you know, you should use multiple custodians so you don't have one one fail on you. Um, for... Bitcoin and, and digital assets today, it's it's a lot of due diligence to figure out mm -hmm. where to store your assets. Um, and so applying diversification, but not applying due diligence, um, it gets you to kind of the, the sum of the failure probabilities across many, many potential candidates to fail instead of maybe get you, getting you what you want. Um, I do realize it's hard for people to do diligence. Um, and, you know, especially after FTX, the things that we look at for diligence seem to fail us too, right? Like in the case of FTX, a lot of people thought, well, look at those big brand name investors, you know, with Sequoia there. I mean, surely, you know, they're doing diligence. Um, Kevin O'Leary oh. on TV. I mean, surely he, he, he says, I did heavy due diligence. So, um, you know, shouldn't we uh, be able to trust these guys? And it turns out they let us down, right? They weren't doing it either. Um, so, 
it's so hard to get your digital assets right that I think for for most individuals, find the one that you actually are willing to go as deep as you can um, to make sure that you've got good um, fundamental principles, you know, Proof of reserves is okay, but it's only going to get you so far. I think you really do need, if you're going to rely on somebody else, you're going to need uh, some sort of a audit regulated storage. I, I, I can't imagine using anyone that's not doing that these days. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and once you found one that's actually decent, then um, probably stick with it. Now, if you really do have a hundred million dollars, yeah, you should probably be using, probably be using a couple of different parties. Are you familiar <laughs> with a project called Enzyme, formerly known as Mellon Protocol? This was uh, a thing that was built by the former vice president of Goldman Sachs to essentially create a hedge fund on smart contracts with all the risk parameters built in. So basically, you couldn't screw things up even if you wanted to. Um, And this thing has existed for about four or five years now, yet I don't know any big fund in the space that actually uses this thing. Could this be potentially an answer for regulators or even just entrepreneurs say, okay, here's something going forward. Um, let's use something like this. Well, look, I don't know enough about that protocol to comment on it specifically. Um, I like the vision, the general idea. So um, could technology get there? Yeah, I think it probably could. But let's use a simpler example. Let's use automated market makers, right? So this is a class. Like Uniswap or Sushi Swap or something like that. Uniswap, Sushi Swap. Yeah, exactly. Like, so this is a class of smart contracts. Um, which will always give you a price on a buy or a sell for a particular trading pair. Um, traditionally, we've used, you know, you go to your broker, right? And if you look at like what it takes to be a broker, it's a highly regulated space where, you know, the SEC and then FINRA help make sure that this guy is never telling you, hey, buy this thing while he's simultaneously selling it, you know, pumping and dumping, right? Right. Automated market makers, way easier to automate, I'm sorry, to regulate, um, you don't have to continually check and say, are you pumping and dumping? Are you pumping and dumping today? Are you doing it today? Today? <laughs> With broker dealers, you could have a guy who's 26 year old starting his career. You know, he's great, completely legitimate, very honest, good broker. And by the time he's, I don't know, 45, he's accumulated some debt, something bad happened in his life. I don't know. Um, and he could, he could change from being the honest guy to the non-honest guy. And regulators have to monitor him every day that he works for his entire career. Whereas with a smart contract, you don't, right? The smart contract, you do the code review, you audit it, right? Now with smart contract, you have a different set of problems with bugs, right? So a human is much better today at kind of working around errors and fat fingers and kind of correcting things. So we do have to worry about that, but I think the automated market maker uh, product line very quickly is going to have safer, and frankly, it's going to be cheaper because it's fully automated. Um, yeah. And then there's other things that come in with like, um, you know, uh, uh, AML and, you know, money laundering, uh, money laundering and uh, terrorist financing types of things. With these automated systems, how do you make sure that it's not being abused by actors that shouldn't be in the pool? I think these will get solved. We haven't solved them as much as we should yet, but we'll get there. You know, I was watching um, an interview briefly the other day with Larry Fink. Um, it was the New York Times Deal Book Summit. And one of the things that he said was um, the future of securities 
is tokenization. And I was actually pretty surprised the fact that he said that. And then he was like, well, most of the companies that are building in crypto right now won't be around in 10 years. And he kind of poo-pooed the current space, but, you know, really hyped up the vision of like what you're literally building. And so I guess my question is, is 10 years down the line, BitGo's goal to be maybe like acquired by a BlackRock or a Fidelity? Or um, are, they, are you guys going to be just competing with these, these megaliths just toe to toe, David versus Goliath? <laughs> well, look, I mean, you know, our, our, our mission is what keeps us going. I'm, I'm really blessed to have so many people in the company that are excited to make a big difference in the financial services space. So that's what we're here to do. Now, I think that the traditional banks and custodians um, are really struggling. Um, it doesn't fit their risk profile. They're afraid that it's going to put their other assets at risk reputationally as opposed to technically. Um, and so that keeps them just further and farther away. So uh, what I've been talking about for a while now is the, the innovator's dilemma. And, you know, Wall Street is not familiar with the innovator's dilemma. Um, you guys, know, you guys familiar here? Please I've heard of it. it. Just in case our <laughs> listeners have not. All right. So look, if you're, if you're a Silicon Valley tech guy, um, you've heard of Innovator's Dilemma. It's a book. It was written by Clay Christensen, I don't know, around 2000, 2002. Um, and it, and it, it, it deals with this question of why is it that the incumbent, the big company always gets replaced by a smaller tech company? Like mm. if you're the big company, like you have all the resources, you got all the money, you got the people, like, how is it that you can't see it coming? How is it that you can't win? And it comes down to that innovation sneaks up on you through iteration. Um, the first iteration of something novel and new is a small market and it doesn't look that scary. And the second one's a little bigger and a little bigger. And, and this is the same thing for, for digital assets. You know, in, in 2013, for a major bank to get involved with crypto, you know, what are they going to make? $100,000. And it doesn't make a difference to their business. So they're like, ah, skip it. But to some small entrepreneur, $100,000, it's $100,000. And then he takes it and he makes it a million. And then he makes it two million. He makes it four and then eight and 16. Well, sooner or later, you now have a multi-hundred million dollar business. And that's an interesting business, even to the big guy. But for the small innovator, he went through hundreds of iterations to figure out how to make that work. And by the time the big guy's trying to come in, it's too late. He hasn't done all that learning. He can't just figure it out on the fly. So sometimes you can acquire, right? They could get bought and that would be a way for an incumbent to, to take on new technology. But oftentimes it doesn't work. It doesn't stick. I mean, we see this a lot in the technology side. Anyway, I think this is happening with financial services today. And, and actually, I think we should welcome it. Um, it's not to, um, to blame the existing banks or, or say that they're bad or anything like that. I think the way we get a better system is by innovating toward it. Um, so we're seeing that right now in, in, in the industry where we're seeing new use cases come out, slowly figuring out all these problems. Um, so anyway, Bitco doesn't have a desire to be acquired per se or to go public. Our, our desire is to make a big, big impact. And right now we have a role. We think that, you know, building market structure, delivering trust is something that we are uniquely well suited to do. Um, so assuming that that proves to be true, we will continue iterating and one day we're going to wake up as a very, very large company. We'll be too large to be bought by the incumbents, and you know we'll be we'll be buying them instead. Let's go. <laughs> that sounds Heard awesome, it here first. I, I love <laughs> it, um, Mike. That's very inspirational to me. 
So thank you for doing what you're doing. Always building heads down, making the world a better place. But who is someone that inspires you? Mm. Who else in the crypto space keeps you pushing to keep innovating and iterating? Um, well, let's see. Right now, I mean, I guess you'd make me answer that question. Like, I, I've been pretty impressed by Elon Musk. I know he's all over the news right now. Some people hate him. But, like, you know, I, I really see this guy as somehow having figured out how to be innovative across such different disparate technologies. I, I don't, I don't know how the guy does it to be honest. Um, so uh, what he's doing, I think at Twitter is incredibly interesting. Whether it proves to be right or wrong is yet to be seen. Um, but I think he's got a pretty good shot at being right. And, you know, you guys are building this podcast, which is a source of real content and real information and helping build kind of a new way that people learn and get access to information. Right. And um, I think uh, I think what he's doing there is, is is similar. So I love that he is very much about building great products. You build great products, and you know great things happen on the other end. A lot of products die if they don't make it. It's very Darwinistic in our industry, um, but you know that's your job. Go make it so that uh, uh, you have a compelling product. I love it. Yeah, no, I agree. Elon uh, is a modern day Leonardo da Vinci. I think we could all agree on that. <laughs> yeah, awesome. He's kind of the obvious one, I guess, right now. All right. Actually, another one. Let me give you another one from the crypto industry because I, I, I like sure. him. And I commented on him recently. Jesse Powell at Kraken. Um, oh, yeah. No matter they're, they're doing centralized custody inside of their exchange. Um, so I suppose maybe we see things a little bit differently, but, um, but not entirely. Actually, the philosophy of people like Jesse and some of the early guys that got in in the 2012-2013 range very much was about technical innovation. What can we conquer in finance markets that are just better than what we had before? Um, and because there wasn't much money in it, you know, the people had to actually be kind of on, on that mission. There was no money to be made back then. Uh, <laughs> and we all went through, through those painful periods. Anyway, I'm very impressed that Jesse has a set of principles that guide him and have continued to do so over 10 years of time, uh, through thick and, and thin. I think he's, um, impressive individual. Yeah. Love it. I yeah. couldn't agree. That, more. That, I couldn't agree. And that's one guy who I've always wanted to have on the podcast and he's, uh, We've never been able to get into contact with him, so we'll see. Maybe we'll follow yeah. up on Jesse. Um, Mike, <laughs> yeah, this was a ton someday. of fun. Uh, thank you so much for, for taking the time today amidst the, the craziness that's going on in your world. Um, and we hope to have you back on again uh, sometime in the future when BitGo has some more exciting announcements. Great. Well, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. And uh, thanks for getting the word out about digital assets and crypto. Um, obviously, we never can have enough. Pleasure's all ours. All right, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in. And we'll be back a little bit later this week with another great episode here at the Crypto 101 podcast. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.